message. Uh, again, just another reminder, can't hear it en- enough times this week. Uh, next week, we have a combined service at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary. Uh, this is a Sunday that uh, we, we started last year, um, on in the year, taking a look back at the previous year, taking a look back at 2019 to see uh, and celebrate what God has been doing uh, at Spring Creek uh, in the year that was, and looking forward to how God is leading us in 2020 and the year to come. And so we'll be coming together, talking about that. We'll be receiving communion together, sharing fellowship meal together, and then having our uh, council meeting together. So it's a big family community day at Spring Creek, uh, so I hope you can come and be a part of that next Sunday. Uh, Before we jump into the message, uh, would you pray with me? Jesus, in this time, would you open our ears and our hearts uh, to receive what you have for us this morning. And may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it may seem odd this morning after we've kind of been progressing in the story of Jesus to kind of what seems to take a step back in the timeline. We've been talking about Jesus' baptism, about Jesus calling his first disciples first to uh, come and see, and then last week we talked about come follow me, and now we're going back to one of the few stories of Jesus as a child. There's not many stories, many glimpses into Jesus' life that we get between his birth and his ministry, and this is one of the few. Um, We're... 40 days out from Jesus' birth, and the Scripture likes the the number 40. We'll be hearing the number 40 again coming up soon as we get closer to the Lenten season. We'll be talking about this 40 again. But here in this story, what we see is Joseph and Mary, who are faithful uh, Jewish people, observing the Torah, the the first five books of the the Bible of the Old Testament that helps lay out uh, the groundwork, the the rules, the laws, the way of following God. And Joseph and Mary are dedicated, faithful parents, and so they're trying to live this out. Uh, So they come 40 days after Jesus' birth uh, to complete the sacrifices that are required in Leviticus chapter 12. They come and dedicate their firstborn according to Exodus chapter 13. They bring a sacrifice that is for a lower income family. They don't bring the the ram or the sheep or the other big uh, ticket items. They bring the, the few birds that are required of a lower income family. These are good, faithful, God honoring parents. As they enter the temple, they meet uh, two interesting characters. The first one that they meet is Simeon. Uh, He is an old, faithful saint of the temple, and he's heard God's promise that he is not going to pass away until he sees God's anointed, or uh, another word is Messiah or Christ. Simeon comes and he sees Jesus as a a baby, and he sings a hymn. He says, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, 
which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for, gen, uh, light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon is a, a faithful servant who has been waiting a long time for just this moment. Anna's another old faithful saint of the church. We hear that she's been a widow. She's also a prophet. Uh, she reaches the age of 84, and so we're under, to understand, as John said earlier, she's well along in age. It's interesting, you know, I think we can retire from an occupation, we can retire from a job, but we never retire from following Jesus. We never retire from being faithful to God. And here she is prophesying, praying, worshiping well along in years. She can still do that. She can still be a part of that ministry in the temple. Simeon and Anna have been waiting a long time for this moment, living in eager expectation of what they've been promised and what they're anticipating. Simeon says that, that this is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the light of glory to the people of Israel. In other words, he's saying that God is re, uh, revealing himself, revealing God's self to people who have not known about God before. He's a light of revelation of something new to the Gentiles who are not familiar with Yahweh. They're not familiar with the Jewish uh, God. And so God is revealing himself. And to those who have known about God, Jesus is coming as the fulfillment of the Jewish hopes and dreams to restore God's plan. And so even though Simeon and Anna have waited in this eager expectation for a long time, they've not waited nearly as long as the people of Israel have been waiting. If you have your, your Bibles, and th this really works well if you have like an actual um, paper, you know, bound physical book Bible, doesn't work well with the, s the swipe thing, all right? So you have your Bible, turn to Malachi, okay? Malachi is the end of of the Old Testament. Actually, in um, the Hebrew Bible, the end of that would be Chronicles, one of our favorite books that we studied a number of months ago. Actually, it's probably been longer ago than I realized. Malachi. There's four chapters in Malachi. And then I don't know what it looks like in your Bible, but this one, uh, this is one of the Pew Bibles, has a title page. It comes next, and then right after that is Matthew, okay? That title page, that one turn of the page, represents 400 years, 400 years. Some refer to this as the silent age. See, God had spoken through the prophets. Scripture in the Hebrew Bible had, was being written down, was being refined. Um, people were hearing the voice of God and living it out and writing it down for others to hear and see. And then they reached this span where no word of God is coming like that anymore. No Scripture for these 400 years. There's, there's history that happens there. 
Uh, I have a Bible back in, in my office that has a section called the Apocrypha. This is um, some historical writing, some things that get written down between the Hebrew Bible and uh, the New Testament uh, Christian scriptures, uh, but they're not scripture for us. They have some value uh, historically. Um, there's good wisdom there, but it's not scripture for us. But it's not like nothing happened for these 400 years. I mean, some serious, major, world-shaping events happen in this time, especially for the Jewish people. The Assyrians uh, and then the Babylonians had taken the people of Israel into exile. And then Persia comes along and conquers those two empires, and Cyrus allows the people of Israel to return. This is at the end of our uh, Old Testament scriptures. They come back, they rebuild the temple and the, the walls of Jerusalem. Eventually, Alexander the Great conquers Greece and Persia and defeats Jerusalem in the process. And then Jerusalem, because of where it is geographically, is kind of in the middle of a number of wars over the next several centuries. Wars between Alexander's generals as they war for who's going to have control over things in his absence or after his death. They suffer cruel persecution under uh, one of these kings named Antiochus Epiphanes, who also desecrates the temple. He erects a statue to Zeus right in the, in the Jewish temple, and to celebrate that, he brings in a whole bunch of unkosher pigs for the sacrifice. There's several kind of pseudo-messiahs who try to force God's restoration in the meantime. One of those, the most notable uh, kind of heroes of the Jewish people during this time is a guy named Judah Maccabees. His nickname is The Hammer. And with a nickname, The Hammer, you can imagine he does not come as the Prince of Peace. He comes to uh, knock some people out, right? And for a time, he succeeds. For a time, the Jewish people uh, have their own uh, independence, only to be reconquered again by Rome. There's a lot happening here. There's a lot going on for the people of Israel. In fact, these events really shape the world that Jesus enters into. Jesus comes at kind of this height of messianic expectation. People for 400 years have been talking about God's anointed coming to restore the kingdom. And so Jesus comes and, of course, breaks the molds of what they expect. And yet, in, for these 400 years, it seems that God goes silent. For the people of Israel in the midst of exile, in the midst of wars, being conquered, um, having all these things happen, this is an odd time for them to think God goes silent. The joy of worshiping in the temple that some of the Psalms give us turn to the laments of, how long, O Lord, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you're like me, you maybe have run into some of these times on your own in life. Times of wondering where God is at. In the midst of pain or brokenness or, or struggle, wondering where God is. Looking for just a glimpse, just, just a little message that lets us know you're still there, God. And it's sure that 
nothing's happening. I mean, something is definitely happening in our life, but you look around waiting for that glimpse of God to show up. Maybe that's uh, somebody in your family or you experiencing some kind of diagnosis, maybe a, a terminal diagnosis, and you're waiting on God to show up and do something. Or a, a tragic event happens in your life, and there you are waiting on God. Maybe everything seems to be falling apart, and you wonder where God's at in the mess. How long, Lord, have you forsaken me? Us waiting on God. Or is it the other way around? Is God waiting on us? God waiting for us to be in the space and the moment that we're finally open to God coming and acting in our lives. You know, when God finally decides to enter into the human story, He does it at what really is an amazing time. When Jesus comes, uh, the world at that time in, in what was the, you know, the known civilized Western world, obviously other things are happening, but in that world, everyone is speaking and reading the same language. They all have an understanding of, of Greek. And so the New Testament can be written down in Greek and taken because of roads and um, commerce and, and shipping. The, the gospel can go around the known world there. The, Jesus comes at the height of these messianic expectations. And so God really chooses kind of an amazing time to enter into history. But waiting on God, or God waiting on us, which is it? Honestly, I don't know. Because sometimes I try and rush ahead of God, you know, I'm, God, let's get moving, let's get moving, let's get moving. And I look around and I go, God, where are you at? God, what's happening? We wonder, we're waiting on God. But other times I know that I've been stubborn and haven't moved when and where God wanted me to move, and I know God is waiting on me. The people of Israel, Simeon, Anna, must have wondered where God was at and when God was going to show up. Paul uh, writes some interesting verses in the New Testament about God's timing. In Ephesians 1, uh, Paul talks about God's plan coming about in the fullness of time, maybe just at the right time. In Titus chapter 1, Paul says, In due time he revealed his word through the proclamation with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. It seems that God acts, speaks, reveals at the right time for God's purposes. And that doesn't always exactly match up with our timeline. Waiting on God or God waiting on us. I don't know. And I would love to tell you the line, you know, if you just harder, have more faith, God will work a miracle. And I believe that is possible. Maybe God will do that. 
But I'm also reminded in Scripture that Jesus prays, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, talking about dying on the cross. And God doesn't just come and take it away. Jesus prays at the end of that, not my will but yours be done. And when he's on the cross, Jesus quotes Psalms when he prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Father doesn't suddenly come down to his rescue right there in that moment. He allows Jesus to die in order to bring about resurrection, in order to do something even greater. You know, when Simeon prophesies, he says, this child is going to cause people's hearts to be revealed. We're going to see where people's hearts really are. And he turns to Mary and he says that a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is going to be a hard road for you too. But ultimately, this is about redemption and restoration and resurrection. So is this about us waiting on God or God waiting on us? I'm not sure. But I do believe that God is there even in the silence. When we don't hear God, He is still there. When I am finally silent, when I finally quiet my own thoughts and my own wrestling, I 